Thanks. All right. Psalm chapter 34, verse 3 today. Psalm 34, verse 3. We're in the midst of our For His Glory and uh, series, and we're going to be closing it out today, actually, I believe. And so um, this will probably be it. Uh, not the last time we'll preach, of course, but the last time we'll make that our main theme uh, for His Glory series. Now, let me just tell you why you're turning to Psalm chapter 34, verse 3, uh, what's been going on. We postponed our offering for a reason. Of course, we've had a lot of things taking place here with our buildings recently. Uh, we had intended to take the offering today, but we have had, uh, it looks as though, um, let me make sure this is it's on, okay. It looks as though we've got a buyer for this building, and uh, that's, that's exciting. And uh, someone says, well, what are we going to do? We're going to trust the Lord. And so it looks like we've got a buyer for this building. They're very serious about it. There's one more piece. We thought last week, this past week, would be enough. And there's one other person that has to go through it. But they say it's a mere formality. And then yesterday we had somebody else through the buildings, probably about 40 or 50 church members from another church, walking through our buildings and very excited about the buildings as well. Why all of a sudden now? God. But anyway, um, you know... Uh, that's, that's all we can, I don't know. I mean, why? Why now? I, I don't have that answer, but I do know. I do know God's people are really praying. I know that much. And I, and I know that uh, God's always on time. And so we'll see, we'll see where that all goes. But it does appear that we'll, we, we sh- hopefully we'll know something by end of week specifically about that church. And uh, like I say, the other church wants to reach us as soon as possible. And it just, you know, I'm so bothered by all these people that want our buildings now. But anyway, <clears throat> so... But uh, we're, we're, we're praising the Lord for all of that. And as far as the logistics and what would happen if they, we sold this first and all that, I, I'm not worried about it. It'll be fine. We're a church. We don't need buildings. We are a church. And, uh, yeah, the buildings, we have buildings, remember? And, and the church we're selling the buildings to is going to let us use their parking lot and things like that. So uh, if, if indeed it's that church, so we wouldn't have any problem at all. We still have parking, but we would be inconvenienced down there below, which sometimes inconvenience is a good thing because it helps us to say it's time to really get moving on this. And so, uh, and, boy, the Lord's in it, and we're moving forward. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm telling you right now, you know, just, just plan on being a part of this thing. Just get in on the ground level and let's just watch God do a miracle. And uh, we see evidence of it already. We don't have any word yet from the, uh, the deal with uh, Verizon. We have no more information about that. They've, uh, we haven't had that sit down yet. And so we're working there. Now, real quickly, just so you know, there's been a little confusion about the offering that's going to take place in two weeks. The building fund offering, actually I should have went that way, right? Because we moved left to right and I'm opposite of you right now. So... Uh, there's three ways to give to the offering. There's a, a one-time gift. Say you want to give 150000 You just, one-time gift. Write the check out, make sure it's not rubber, and put it in the offering. Okay, wait with that. Number two, there's a commitment from, through April through December. April through December, a commitment, okay? Um, so you say, between these months, I'm going to give X amount to the building fund to this project. And then there's a combination, and I've used the combination a few times, a number of you have as well, where you, you put a check in maybe or a one-time gift as well as you commit to so much for the remainder of the year. So there's three ways. Now, there will be an offering envelope. I'll get those into your hands in the next, uh, next week. I know it's Easter. We'll have them maybe in the back just tell you where they're at, and you can grab them or something. But there will be one of three you can fill out, or one of those three, one-time, commitment, or combined. 
Okay? And that's how it works. Real simple. But again, our goal is going to be, and we'll know a little bit more hopefully by the time we take our offering, but we're excited about what's going on. And we might, you know, we're supposed to meet with the banks this week about this sells. How's that affect us with that annex down there and, you know, all this stuff that goes on, the logistics of it. But uh, obviously the Lord's doing some work here, so things are moving in the right direction. We know God's in it, and we're just going to keep on plowing forward and uh, keep praying, you know, trust the Lord with this thing. But it's exciting. I, I'm telling you right now, go grab a neighbor and say, come on, you need to go along with the ride. On that. Go along for the ride on this one. This is going to be awesome to watch what God can do in our day and age. We read about miracles in the Bible. We read about it maybe in, in other ministries through the years, including our own ministry. But what about the miracles today? Well, today's an opportunity for Community Baptist Temple to be a part of a miracle, and we're watching it. We're watching it. And it's firsthand. It's pretty awesome. Don't run for the hills. Stay in your place. There's no reason to get upset. There's no reason to be concerned. God's in it. When he's in it, you're in good shape. And we're moving forward, okay? All right. Well, anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you. If you have other questions, feel free to call. Uh, I'm sure that myself, um, uh, even the secretary, others, they understand that. Uh, if you'd like a... Uh, you know, maybe tonight, starting tonight, maybe I'll get those envelopes into people's hands starting tonight or something. But we'll, we'll make sure you have access to stuff like that, okay? Anyway, it's come along good. Um, Psalm 34, 3. Let's go ahead and read it. The Bible says over there in the book of Psalm, chapter 34, verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. That's so short, let's do it again. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Again, our series is... For His glory. We've talked about a number of ways to glorify the Lord. And what we said really was that to glorify the Lord, we're to glorify the Lord in everything we say and do, in every action, every attitude. We're to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said to glorify really means to, by definition, glory uh, means primarily signifies an opinion, estimate, and hence to honor resulting from a good opinion. To honor resulting from a good opinion. So when we speak about glorifying the Lord, what we're really talking about is elevating the opinion, the estimate, or the view of God in the eyes of others. We want everybody to see God and say, He is so big. He is so awesome. He is so magnificent. That's what we want to do by, and that's what we mean by glorifying the Lord. We can't add to God's glory because really God is as glorified as he could possibly be, is as big as he could ever get. But we can point people to Jesus Christ. We can say things, do things, and exhibit a behavior and a lifestyle that ultimately lifts God up in the eyes of others for his glory. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Wow, everything. And so we've been talking about that, dealing with it. And a few weeks ago, some weeks back actually, we began to consider ways that we can glorify the Lord. And we said that we must die to self to glorify Him. We, we delight to serve. We determine to stand for His glory. But then today I want to talk to you about this topic. Duplicate to survive. We duplicate to survive for His glory. You say, what do you mean? Well, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. I remember hearing about a couple who many years ago, many years ago, uh, got together. They met each other and Six months later, they were ready to wed. 
And so they went, uh, those days there wasn't maybe a lot of money to spare for a wedding and there wasn't a lot of excess funds there for big presents and catered dinners and all that stuff. So they had the wedding right in their mom and dad's house. And so the man, he, he uh, took his bride that day and they went into the, his mother's home and there the preacher came and married the two of them right there in the living room of that home. Their life began there together. And that night they spent their honeymoon in that home. And at two in the morning, the man was out changing a flat tire so his wife could get to work. Good times. That's how it used to be. But anyway, there they were now, married. It wasn't too long, a few years later, that all of a sudden, a baby boy came along. He was the joy of their life. They couldn't believe that God had blessed them with children, and they were so thankful, and there they had and held their baby boy in their arms. Together they gazed into one another's eyes, and they thought to themselves, our future is bright. God has blessed. And then it was just 11 months later that the greatest of all blessings came into their life. Their second born child. <laughs> he was unbelievable. The fairest of 10,000. And once again, they rejoiced that the Lord would bless their home, their marriage, their family. Two more children later, now a total of four, there they were, a wonderful family. Those boys grew, became men. The first one is a, became a teacher. He's doing extremely well. As far as teaching is concerned, he's a doctorate or something. That was a PhD, and he teaches PhD courses. He's real smart. The second one grew up to be extremely good-looking. <laughs> Very talented indeed. <laughs> the other two, who cares? <laughs> but those four boys now are grown up. They have wives, and they have children. And now their children are beginning to have children. Of course, that's my mom and dad and myself and my brothers. And now my children are preparing to be married. And my brothers have already had children that are married. And there's children and the grandchildren and God is blessing. And they're, they're, they're duplicating they're reproducing themselves. And what once began with just two people is now a score of people. Duplicate to survive. A man, he always seems to be, at least in most cases, once a boy. Why? Because he wants someone to carry on his name. Long after he's gone, he knows that his son or his family will carry on his name. You know, in the Christian life, it's no different. If we're going to carry on the name of Jesus Christ, we are going to have to duplicate 
to survive. And so, this morning I want to touch on that specific topic. Duplicate to survive. Father, help us in these next minutes. We only have a short time. Be glorified now in this service. If there be any without Christ, may they be saved. If there be those that are child, children of God, may their hearts be stirred and encouraged for your glory. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Back in Acts, the book of Acts, that is, we find a very young church. A very young church. Their lives were in constant danger. Their future was in question. They were given marching orders by their captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about those over in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. The Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. It's there. (laughs) Whatsoever I have commanded you, What's found right in that B-I-B-L-E we just talked about. He said, now you've, you've seen them come to Christ. Now you've, his, you've been able to see them enter into the house of God. And I want you to teach and train them everything in that old B-I-B-L-E. That old Bible, that old book. He goes on to say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Those are their marching orders. A very young church. And they followed those orders. I mean, they followed them and they they watched as literally thousands accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. As thousands adopted the Christian lifestyle. They watched in wonder as the Spirit of God supernaturally worked and moved in the lives of men and women in their generation. Convert after convert was born into the family of God until the numbers of the believers estimated is estimated to be at least 50,000 or more. So great was the need now. So great was the, the urgency of that need that they were forced to, to enlist others to help them in ministering into the cares of even the widows. In Acts chapter 6, the Bible says in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, Is it not reason that we should leave the word, is it not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Over what business? Over caring for the widows, caring for the needy. They said, are we to leave the word of God? Are we to stop searching the scriptures? Are we to cease from reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we wait on tables and meet the needs of people in the church? No! Choose out some other men. Appoint some others to do that business so that the preachers can stay in the word of God. And so they chose out deacons, the Bible tells us. Seven deacons for 50,000 members. How many deacons we got, preacher? So far, zero. We only have 500 people. So he says, you have to have deacons to run a church. No, you don't. No, No, you don't. You need deacons when you need deacons. You need deacons when there's nobody else to care for anybody. 
People say, you can't be a church without deacons. Yes, you can. Show me in the Bible where you have to have a deacon in order to be a church, to organize as a church. You need an elder. You need a pastor, the Bible says. You don't need deacons. And by the way, deacons are not men that run around telling the preacher how to run the church. Deacons aren't men that are like the house of representatives for the church. Well, we represent the church preacher, and we don't like the color of the carpet. Well, who cares? You get one vote like everybody else does, including me. We all get a vote. Except my vote is a little weightier, I admit. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, what, what's the big deal? Today, nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to be under anybody's authority today. That's the real problem, isn't it? Nobody does. Nobody wants their boss telling them what time to be in at work anymore. I can't stand it. Why do I have to come in at that time? What are you talking about? Be glad you got a job. Well, I don't agree with what we're doing over there at work. Who cares? Just do it. Get your paycheck and go home. I mean, I know, I understand that everything isn't perfect in our world. But listen, uh, we need to learn sometimes to submit to authority. God says it's in our best interest and our families. I want my kid to submit to my authority. I want my children to do what as I asked them. And God says, I want my children to do the same thing. You know, in the church, you have to be willing to submit to authority too. Church doesn't run good if everybody's doing their own thing. And these deacons were in a position now to help those pastors and they brought them on, so to speak, and said, go out and help us meet the needs. Go ahead and care for those people. And by the way, we have some widows in our services. We don't have any widows indeed here from what I understand. But we do have a number of widows. But listen, there are needs that abound there. And needs have to be met. I'm not saying we have to do all the, everything for them. No, they're quite capable. They come to church and they, they go out together. They're a tremendous encouragement to one another. But listen, the older we get, the more we have needs. By the way, if we don't duplicate, we will not survive. There'll be nobody to take care of anybody. These deacons now, here they are in the early church. They're helping out. They're working diligently along with those preachers now, side by side, in the ministry, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. God had instructed the church to reach out to the gospel in every direction. Every direction. Not just north, not just south, not just east, not just west. Every direction they were to reach out with the gospel. Over in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Everywhere, everywhere, you're to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're to tell people that Jesus saves. You're to let them know that he, was, he died on Calvary, shed his blood, was buried, and rose again the third day to save them from their sin. You're to reach out as a church, as a people, as an individual, to the entire earth. That's what he said to them. But we're being persecuted. But our families are being destroyed and ripped from us. What are we to do? Oh, you're to keep reaching out. See, the problem was is that they had been instructed, but they hadn't obeyed that command. Oh, they, they had started to reach out. They'd reached Jerusalem, all right, but they weren't willing to go past Jerusalem. They were willing to reach out to their own community, but they weren't willing to reach out to their county, so to speak, and to their country, and then ultimately the world. See, there in Jerusalem, that was fine. But Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, nope, nobody was ready to move. Everybody was comfortable. Everybody became complacent right where they were. Therefore, they stayed right there in Jerusalem. God had an interesting way of kind of lighting a fire and getting them to obey. He sent persecution. 
He literally sent persecution. And boy, that persecution touched the lives of those believers. And you know, it was amazing how things turned out. The first New Testament martyr is recorded for us in Acts chapter 7. His name is Stephen. Stephen was one of those seven deacons that was chosen in chapter 6. Can you imagine if I said to you today, if you want to be a deacon for us, you have to give your life for Jesus Christ. What? Yeah, one day somebody will stone you. I don't think so. Now, Stephen didn't know that when he took the job either. But here he is now, standing before a multitude of men, the council of Israel, and he's preaching and teaching about Christ. And they stone him. They literally, they, they stone him. The persecution ensued after the stoning of Stephen. It escalated over time even. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 we read, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Talking about Saul, who ultimately becomes the apostle Paul. Saul watched as they stoned Stephen. He thought it was a wonderful thing. He thought it was great that Christians were being stoned. He loved that they were being persecuted and ultimately martyred for the cause. Oh, that's wonderful. They're dying for their belief. They deserve to die, those Christians. Paul believed that. Should I say Saul at that time? And the Bible goes on to say Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. I mean a great persecution against the church. I mean, things have been going pretty good. People have been being saved. Lives have been being transformed and changed. The church was growing 50,000 members and above. We have deacons now. We have preachers now. We have all this stuff going on. And all of a sudden, this great persecution. And I can only imagine, just like you and I, we, some of them said, what in the world's going on here? God, here we are trying to serve you. Here we are reaching out to our community. Here we are giving the gospel as you commanded us. What and why are you permitting this to happen to us? Saul, he was a zealous Pharisee, by the way. He, he hated the message of this radical sect claiming that Christ rose again. He was perhaps even one of those men who stood around Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, scrutinizing and, uh, their authority and disputing their message over there in Acts chapter 4. Turn there, if you would, please. Acts chapter 4, verse 6. Look what happened early on in the church, Acts chapter 4. Again, persecution coming along. It's, it's already there, but it's kind of underlying. They're reaching out to just the leaders of the church right now. And these being the disciples or the apostles of Christ, they're the ones taking it on the chin now. But notice what happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 6. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and, many, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is he made whole? Well, what means he is made whole? Now, what he's saying is that they had healed this man in the power of the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, these men say, Hey, by whose power did you do that? Whose authority are you doing that? And they say, Hey, I'm going to tell you whose authority it is. Verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that... By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, watch this now, here it is, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. He gave Jesus Christ the glory, didn't he? He said, boy, I, I, I'm such a great preacher, look at what happened. 
I'm such a great healer. Look what happened. No, Jesus did that in his life. But I want you to see something. Here he is indicting them. They're standing around him, the Bible said. They gathered together Jerusalem there. These men did. They set those two preachers in the midst. And they said, by whose authority and by whose power are you doing what you're doing? And man, I mean, Peter rears back and says, listen, man, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. The Jesus who you crucified. The one you hung on Calvary. The one you nailed, put the nails in his hands and his feet. The one who you guys cried, crucify him, crucify him. That's the name and the authority by which this man is healed. He then reminds them of the very one, that that very one that they sought to discard through death, that they tried to kill, is risen from the dead and active in their very midst. He said, whom God raised from the dead. So Saul had such a great hatred. He hated Christianity. He hated the faith. And he joins in a very massive effort to extinguish the name of Christ in the early church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, turn there if you would. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 8, verse 1, excuse me. Again, and at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Wait a second. We've heard those words before, haven't we? Wait a second. Judea and Samaria. Let's see. If I recall correctly, in Acts chapter 8, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. And they were doing that, weren't they? But hold on. Nobody was going outside of Jerusalem at that point. Great persecution comes, and all of a sudden, they were scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. Well, that's, that's a fulfillment of Scripture then. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. Then he goes on to say in the uttermost part of the earth. It's not done yet, but three out of the four is covered now. He goes on to say, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc on the church, entering into every house, and hauling men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. That's exactly what God had told them to do. They had failed to do it. The church, whose feet were once embedded in concrete, they could not move, would not move, are now making tracks out of the area and into Judea and into Samaria. Sadly, we're not much better than the early church in obeying God, are we? God tells us to do certain things and sometimes our feet are in concrete. We're unwilling to move as God directs us and leads us as God shares with us in His Word You know, God had to light a fire under them to get them moving. It was called persecution. They lost their children. They lost their wives and their families, their homes. Ultimately, they were destitute and on the run. All because they would not move their feet and obey Christ. You say, no, God didn't do that. The Bible says that he permitted persecution to come. And then we see a fulfillment of his command. There's no, no that, that is not a coincidence. Now here they are on the run, so to speak, fleeing from Jerusalem, fulfilling now the command of Christ. And according to Acts chapter 8, verse 4, they went everywhere preaching the word. 
So the name of Christ is spread abroad. It's going everywhere. Folks are being saved. Lives are being changed in Judea, Samaria, and in Jerusalem now. These were normal people, by the way. These were just church members like you. These weren't the pastors. As a matter of fact, they make it clear in the Word of God, though God makes it clear, the apostles never left Jerusalem. The men and women who left, that went everywhere preaching the Word, according to the Bible, they're the church members. So it says, well, I'm not a preacher. That doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Listen, God says to you and I today to duplicate to survive. He says, you've got to reach out. You've got to do the work of Christ. I'm calling you and I'm commissioning you to do the work. Every one of us are called. Christianity survived this brutal attack and it continued to grow. You say, how did it continue to grow? Simple. It's real simple. They duplicated themselves in the lives of others. The message of Christ was shared with others. Men and women believed And were saved. Their lives were then transformed. Their lives were changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They began to obey scripture. Then they began to open the Bible. And share with others how to trust Christ. And receive the Lord. And as a result they became Christians. And they got saved. And they got trained. And then they began to open their Bibles. And generation after generation after generation. People began to duplicate. Even though persecution was great, even though the the enemies of Christ were trying to squelch the, the, the cause of Christ, there was nobody or nothing that could keep Christ's name from growing. Because the people of God were duplicating or reproducing after their own. See, the secret to continuing your name in this life is to produce yourself through your offspring And the secret to continuing the name of Christ in this life is to reproduce ourselves in the lives of others. You say, how do you do that? Well, God has a pattern. And we just have a few minutes, but let me run through it very, very quickly. We've touched on it already. Let's turn to Matthew 28, 19, and 20 again. Let's turn over there. I've been there once, now you get to turn there with me. I said again, because I've been there twice. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Notice what it says here. Very simple passage. Again, Jesus Christ is ascending. He's going to be, go back to be with the Father. He's already died, bled, buried, and rose again. Here he is now making his way back to heaven. And he leaves the disciples with a command, a commission, with a, a mission to accomplish. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. First of all, if we're going to reproduce, if we're going to duplicate, we need to do a few things. And God gives us this simple pattern. Number one, we have to invite. Invite everyone to join the family of God. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. God said to his people, go, go, Go. Do not remain behind. Do not sit in the comfort of your home. Do not remain in the comfort of a pew. Go and take the gospel to others in need of Christ. That's the first in the pattern. Invite people to Jesus Christ. I'm going to be honest with you. The last time I checked, I have to use my mouth to do that. Someone says, no, no, I'm going to be a witness by my life. You know what? You need a life that witnesses. But you cannot fully witness without lips. 
or without communicating, whether it's writing or whether it's some kind of other community texting or doing something to communicate the truth of the gospel. My life alone is not enough to point you, uh, it may point you toward Christ, but it'll never get you in Christ. See, a man says, I want Jesus. I want to know how do I get to heaven? How do I get saved? How is my sin forgiven? And I go, watch my life. You think my life's going to get them to heaven? They're going to be as confused as ever. So I just have to go to church, read my Bible and pray, and I can get to church, right? Just watch my life. So a man thinks it's what he does that gets him to heaven. Do you know what? You have to tell somebody or point somebody to the Word of God and say, there, this is what Jesus did for you. This is what you need to do now. May I encourage you to go invite people to Jesus Christ? Number one, we have to invite. Invite everyone to join the family of God. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Number two, you need to include. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Bible goes on in that passage to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. May I say that water baptism gets no one into heaven? However, water baptism includes them in the local church. You need to be baptized in order to be a part of the local church. Why? Because baptism is the first step of obedience once you've trusted Christ. It's that next step you have to take once you've been saved in order to grow in Christ. It's a step of obedience. If you're not willing to obey in a simple act of baptism, anyone can be baptized. Anyone can go under the water and come up. If you're not willing to do that, you're not going to grow in Jesus. You're never going to experience the blessings that God has for you. But God says, I want to, you to not only invite them to me as Savior and Lord, then I want you to include them in the family, the church family. Baptize them. Make them a part of, include them in the church family. So you get saved, you're to be baptized. How else do, how do we do this? What's God's pattern in duplicating or reproducing Well, invite, include. Number three, instruct. Instruct. Teach and train them in the word and the ways of God. He says, teaching them to observe all things. See, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Because you say, I've heard that already. Hold on, but here's how simple it is. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That teach is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. Here's how you get to heaven. Let me teach you, let me show you. But then he goes on to say, then baptize them, and then teaching them to observe all things. Now I open the Bible back up and go, now here's how you ought to live. Here's how you ought to serve. Here's how you ought to feel and think and act. You say, I ain't going to let nobody tell me how to feel, act, and think. That's my business. I know that's why God's not able to do anything in your life. See, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't matter how I feel. All matters what God says and what He says. When somebody hurts me, He tells me how I ought to feel and how I ought to think. I'm not saying that I'm not human and that I don't maybe get upset. I'm not saying that I don't struggle with doing right. What I'm saying is ultimately I have to come to the conclusion that how God says I ought to handle it, how I ought to deal with it, is exactly how I ought to handle it and deal with it. And that's exactly what we're supposed to teach the new convert. That's why, see, in our lives, he says to us, you want to duplicate, you're not just duplicating souls. It's not just enough to get someone saved. You have to get them in, baptize them, let them be a part of what you're part of, the local church, and then begin to teach and train them how to think, how to act, how to feel, and what they should know, and and how to apply these truths to their life. 
My mom and dad, when I came into the home, let me tell you something. I was a baby and I didn't understand a thing. But as I grew older, they began to teach me and train me some things. They taught me how to clean up my room. They taught me how to use a restroom. They taught me how to tie my shoe. They taught me what to do here and there and everywhere else. Let me tell you something. I'm glad mom and dad took the time to train me and teach me what it means to be a man in this culture, this society, and before God. And let me tell you, you can't possibly be everything you're supposed to be and continue to duplicate and to survive if we don't teach them how to live the Christian life too. Listen, if church is good enough for me, it's good enough for my kids. If, if serving in, for the Lord Jesus Christ is good enough for me, then that's what my children will do as long as they're under my roof. Hey, they're going to move out. They're going to have to make their own decisions. They're going to have to live their own lives. That's up to them. I hope I've instilled some truths in their heart that will ultimately drive them to, to, to the, their knees and keep them in the, 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 the presence of Jesus Christ. I trust that's the case. But either way, I know at least while I have control of them, while they're under my authority, I'm going to give them or make them do what I do, teach them to do what I do. Because that is my job as a parent. To duplicate. I want my children to be just like me. My daughters will be pretty ugly, but... <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Someone says, I don't want my kids to grow up to be like me. Then you need to change who and what you are. You need to become more like Jesus Christ. You know that we're all supposed to be growing to be like Christ. Don't you want your children to be like Christ? You ought to be growing to be like Christ in your life, in your attitude, in your outlook. And therefore, when your children take your characteristics and qualities, you can go, praise the Lord. I'm tired of parents who dismiss their responsibility and say things like, I don't ever want my kid to grow up like me. I don't want him to turn out like me. Why not? Change who you are then. Let Christ do something in your life. Don't you want your children to be faithful to church like you are? Don't you want your children to be faithful in God by reading the word like you are and praying like you are? Don't you want your children to want to obey, the, obey Christ like you do? You say, but I don't do a good job of those things. Change. That's, you're going to duplicate what you are, not what you want. You are going to reproduce what you are, not what you want. Parent says, well, I don't want my kid to be like me. They will. So you might as well get it straight. I'm going to be what Christ, Christ wants me to be because that's what I want my children to be. Invite, include, instruct. Invest, number four. Invest. Reproduce yourself in their lives. We've kind of touched on that. We've talked about it. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Notice the prerequisite. I'm to invest my life in what? Faithful men. Oh, whoa, 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 preacher. No, you're to give your life to everybody equally. No, not according to the Bible, I'm not. I'm sorry, but you know what? You can tell me all day what you want me to do with my life, but I have a God that tells me what to do with my life. And you know what? I'm telling you, he's telling you the same thing he's telling me. You, you know what? Sometimes we invest our lives in people who are not investing in themselves. And you know where that leads, don't you? To Nothing. Whether it's, whether it's teaching, listen, have you ever tried to teach somebody how to spend money or how to have their, get on a budget or how to use their finances properly and yet every time you tell them to do something, they go out and do something crazy and stupid? Sooner or later, you might as well just stop talking because they've made up their mind they're going to do what they want anyway, right? Guess what? In the Christian life, you know it's very same. 
There are some people that are serious about Jesus Christ. They're faithful to God's house. They're faithful to Bible. They want to please the Lord. Oh, they stumble. They fall. Yeah, they trip up sometimes. They're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But hold on a second. If I'm going to invest between one or two people, there's two people standing in front of me. You two men, stand up. Would you please? You two right here. Stand up for me. Stand up. I got to choose. I only have so much time. Just like I told my singles class today. I've only got so much time. I can only be one place at a time. I can't be two places at a time. No matter how many people want the pastor, I can only be one place at a time. Hold on a second. I can only help one of these two now. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, I can only help one of the two. Which one am I going to help? You say, help them both. I can't. It's impossible. I'm telling you, the time restraint's too limited. I've got to choose. Who am I going to choose? i got one kid over here. He respects his parents. He respects authority. He wants to go ahead. He says, I love Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, preacher, you tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. If you want me to read five, five, a chapter a day, I'll read it. You want me to, to pray every day, I'll do it. If, if you say that'll help me be closer to Christ, I want to be closer to Christ. I've got a desire and a longing to be. I'm going to be in church. I'm going to be at every service. I'm going to. And then the other guy says, I don't care about the Lord. I could care less about you. I'll come to church only because I have to. And I don't care. I got one or two guys I can invest my, uh, my life in. Which one are you going to invest in? Well, I was just out last night getting drunk, preacher. (laughs) And someone says, I'd invest my life in him. Yeah, you would. And you know what you're going to get out of it usually? I mean, I'm not talking about the exception of the rule. I'm talking about the rule now. You're going to get exactly what you got now. That man has to make a decision to be faithful first before he gets the full investment of God's people. At least according to the Bible. Someone says, I want to be discipled, preacher. I want you guys to train me on Wednesday night. Well, then you be in God's house on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Someone says, well, I don't think I should have to be there. I just want to be discipled. How in the world are we supposed to teach you if you're not even faithful? Wait a second. The Bible's what's talking to me now. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm to invest my life into people, and I can invest my life into a number of people. But if I've got even a hundred people to choose from, I'm going to pick the ones that I believe God can do something with because they've proven that they want God to do something with them. I don't care what God does in my life. Well, you're a waste of time then. No, I'm sorry. You want me? No, I'll pray for you. I'll come by and visit you, try to encourage you. But don't ask me to teach you the Bible if you're not willing to be in God's house when the Bible's being taught. Well, I don't know why you won't put me up there on the platform and sing. Maybe because you don't show up except when you choose to. Now, I'm talking about as a believer, you have to invest in people in your life. God doesn't say just preachers do this. You do. You win four people to Jesus Christ, and one of them you've been working with for the last 14 weeks. Can't get them to come to church. You're out there every week visiting them, every week visiting them, every week visiting them. And you've got two other guys over here just got saved. You say, I can't visit those two guys if I visit him. You've been out there 14 weeks, can't get him to church. I say you set him down for a month. Don't visit him for a month and go visit those guys. I'm sorry, but isn't that how it should work? You do that at work, you guys can be seated. You have two employees. One of them just does everything you want them to do. Do you promote the one that doesn't? No, you promote the guy or the gal who's doing what you ask them to do. The one who's always at work. Not the one you have to track down. Hey, where are you at today? Why aren't you at work? You don't promote that one. You promote the one that's faithful. Oh, but at the church, you have to be different. No, God says we're to invest in those lives who are faithful. 
you want to be invested in, then get faithful with God. Do the simple basics. Then others around you will see that investment and you will be invested in. And I invest in people. I try to. I get tired of investing in some people. It's discouraging. I try not to get discouraged. I work hard at that. And I I give people the benefit of the doubt way too often. Probably if there's one fault when I get to heaven, the Lord will say, you wasted too much time with people who did not want to be faithful. Because I just can't say no to people. I love to help people even when they don't want to help themselves. I war with that. But I'm telling you that you have to be willing to invest in people. That means giving your time, your energy, even maybe your finances at times. Investing in people. But be careful you don't waste your energies investing in people who aren't willing to invest in themselves. Someone says, this isn't the kind of message that I'm supposed to hear in church. I'm supposed to hear no matter what I do, no matter where I go, no matter what I think, people are just supposed to love me, accept me, and keep pouring it on me. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's the society we live in. Where you don't have to work, but we'll keep investing in you. You don't have to produce anything positive in society, but we'll just keep giving you free stuff. Well, I'm telling you, that's not how God works. God says, you show me that you're interested in yourself, and I'll guarantee you someone else will get interested in you. Thanks, preacher. You're a blessing today. Finally, inspire, and we're done. Inspire. We've already said that if we're going to duplicate, we have to invite, include, instruct, invest, and now inspire. In 1 Timothy 4.12, the Apostle Paul says to his son in the faith, Timothy. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you talked about Timothy. By the way, let me just encourage everybody in this room to be in Sunday school. I I know you say, I can't take that much Bible. I can't sit that long. Drives me nuts. Can you imagine having to sit there all that time? Man, listen, we got teachers in there that care about people. They love you guys. They love their classes. They love their people. They're there for them. There's a prayer request. You can call them anytime, day or night. They're there for you. Don't you want that kind of support system? You say, I don't want that accountability. If I don't show up, I don't want someone asking where I've been. Friend, listen, you can't grow in your Christian life till you're willing to be accountable to somebody. I need accountability. You need it. I, want, I'm, I implore you, I beg you, to make learning God's Word a priority in your life. It'll help you ultimately, to duplicate the right things in the lives of others. See, you're going to duplicate yourself for good or bad. One way or the other, you're going to. You're going to reproduce what you are either way. And I want to encourage you to become better for Jesus. We all need teaching and training. We all need the Word of God. Inspire. 1 Timothy 4.12, the apostle says to his son in the faith, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Do you know how you can inspire people? Through your life. Someone says, I'm going to witness through my life. That's a good starting place. But you want to inspire people, you have to do it through your living, not your words. See, you can't witness without words, but you can't inspire without works. You can't do it. You really can't witness without words. You have to be able to share words. Oh, yeah, your life has to add up, and then you share it through your mouth. But you cannot inspire people with your words alone. Oh, you can get somebody fired up at a rally, you know, but if they look at your life long enough, pretty soon those words, if they don't add up, 
you have no authority anymore. You'll discourage them, not inspire them. I want to encourage you to be an inspirer. I mean, let the people around you, let your family, let your friends, let your co-workers see the benefit of serving the Lord firsthand. When everybody else is boo-hooing about this and boo-hooing about that, you're going, well, it's in God's hands. I'm all right. God will take care of me and my family. I'm not saying that there's not some concerns in my life. I'm not saying that I don't have to consider some things. But listen, what's it going to do me any good to whine and cry? I got a God bigger than any problem I got. I mean, that's the stuff people need to see in our lives. You say, you're telling me there's not real problems in this world? Yes, there's problems in this world. But you have a Savior to go through them with you. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were cast into the furnace of fire. They weren't alone in that fire. Just like Daniel in the lion's den. He wasn't alone in that den. And you know what? You're not alone in your fiery times. Your trials, tribulations. Neither am I. And people need to see the benefit of serving Jesus. They need to see that Christ is big enough. And boy, all of a sudden now, you will inspire them to turn to Him. In January, Taro Aso. Taro Aso, Japan's finance minister. He made headlines around the world when he told a panel on social security reforms that the elderly should be permitted to, quote, hurry up and die. Of course, as you can imagine, and as I could just tell, that statement brought an avalanche of responses. But ASO is overlooking the real culprit of their economic dilemma there in, Jap- in, in Jap- Japan. Excuse me. Japan's dire physical problems can be traced to the country's demographics. But the problem really lies at the beginning of life, not the end. You say, what do you mean? Well, to put ASO's comments in context... The writer of this article goes on to say, there are several things you need to know about Japan's demographics and their economic impact. First of all, nearly a quarter of Japan's population is over 65 years old. That percentage is projected to rise to nearly 44% by 2050. Also, 40% of Japanese households today receive cash payments, virtually all of which go to those over the age of 65. And households increasingly consist of single elderly persons living, living uh, and increasingly dying alone. Nearly 10% of Japanese households today, 4.6 million in total, fit that description. The cost of caring for the elderly, the writer goes on to say, is a large part of why Japan's debt-to-gross domestic product ratio is an astounding 229%. Now get this, nearly 2.5 times that of the United States. As the economist Herbert Stein famously said, if something cannot, be, can, cannot go on forever, it will stop. <laughs> and Japan's borrowing money to care for a rapidly aging population cannot go on forever. Here it is now. Calling elderly patients, wait till you hear this one, calling elderly patients unable to feed themselves, here they are now, tube people. They're called tube people. And saying that the problem won't be solved unless you let them hurry up and die 
is not only offensive and cruel, but it also misses an important point. Japan is getting older because the Japanese have stopped having children. Now, Japan's physical demographic trap is not the result of some law of nature. It's the product of culture, the writer says. For a host of reasons, the Japanese placed having and rearing children near the bottom of their to-do list. Here in the USA, our worker-to-retirement, excuse me, our worker-to-retiree ratio is prophesied to be the same, well, is projected to be the same as Japan's in 2050, meaning where they're at now is where we'll be in 2050. The economic consequences of declining fertility rates are no secret. Yet telling people that they should have more children these days is only slightly less popular than urging the elderly to hurry up and die. That's how the writer ends. The writer's Eric uh, Metazas. Met to Zass. He writes for LifeNews.com. Now, what's he saying? Japan has a problem. Why? Because they're not having children. So there's no one coming behind them to bear the burden. Folks, listen to me. That's true in economics. It's also true in God's economy. We're watching churches all around us grow old. We're not reaching this generation. Who's going to take care of us one day? Who's going to pass on the torch? Who's going to carry it on into the next generation? Who's going to ensure that the next generation knows the name of Christ and has been saved, born again, that they can carry on the work of Jesus Christ in our day, our age, our culture, our society, who's going to do that? If we don't reproduce, if we don't duplicate, we will not survive. What do you have to do to survive then? Have children. How do you have children? By winning others to Jesus Christ. They're called babes in Christ in the Bible. So what we're saying is that simple, simple pattern that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us I mean, that simple pattern to invite people to Jesus Christ, to include them in the church through baptism, to instruct them in the Word of God, to invest by reproducing ourselves in their lives, and to inspire them through our living is something that you and I need to do if we want to exist and we want the name of Christ to be carried on to the next generation. Maybe you don't know for sure heaven's your home today. Can I tell you that there is a God in heaven that loves you. There's a pastor that cares enough to tell you. And there is a church that is determined to share that news with you today. We want God's name to transcend our day, our age. We want it to go on into the future. And if you don't know for sure heaven's your home, You don't know how to become part of God's family. I want you to know God's word spells it out. He sent his son to die for you 2,000 years ago. He was buried. He rose again the third day. All you need to do is believe that his payment for sin is sufficient payment for your soul. And if you'll accept and receive him into your life and allow him to pay for your sin, 
He will forgive your sin. He will wash it away. He will include you in his family. And he will enable you to be in heaven one day with him. Then you need to start off in a place like this. Learning and growing in Christ. So that you then can duplicate yourself in the lives of your children, your family, your friends, and your community. So that the name of Jesus Christ will be known in the next generation. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we've had together. Bless us now in this short, simple time of invitation. There may be someone that's lost without Christ. May they not leave here without Jesus as their Lord, their Savior. It's simple, but they must be willing to receive him, accept him. Father, give them courage to even come. And now, Lord, see for themselves the promises of Scripture. And Lord, for the people of God today, may we ask ourselves, are we reproducing ourselves in the lives of our family, our friends, and our co-workers and our community? Are we being that example? Are we truly inspiring people? Are we inviting people? Are we including people? Are we doing what we need to do so that the name of Jesus doesn't stop with us, but continues on into the next generation? Help us to be witnesses for your glory. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our